0: This is Global Tennessee, news, analysis, and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, non-profit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants.
1: This is Global Tennessee. I'm Pat Ryan at the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to our latest podcast that brings you information about Nashville, about Middle Tennessee, and about Tennessee with a global affairs twist. Today, uh, we are very pleased to uh, have a conversation in our roundtable segment with Lori Odom, who's the vice president for uh, business, uh, international business, at the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. And I should mention that the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce is uh, uh, a partner with us in uh, producing this uh, podcast and bringing it to you. and also in supporting the work of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, so we we greatly appreciate that. We should also mention that the Belmont University Center for National Business is uh, an associate of the World Affairs Council in bringing you Global Tennessee and the works of the World Affairs Council. Well, um, Laurie, welcome to uh, your second appearance on the Global Tennessee podcast.
2: Thank you, Pat. A return already?
1: Yeah, well, we'll we're, we're just going to uh, bill you as a co-host and have you uh, here as often as we can because you have your finger on the pulse of international business in Nashville, and uh, we appreciate uh, being able to share that with our listeners. Um, lots happening in uh, in Nashville on the international scene that uh, we can go through, and, and uh, we'll, we'll go down a list of... A number of things, but why why don't you just uh, uh, start off with uh, telling us what kinds of things are happening at the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce, and uh, in in your role as uh, Vice President for International Business, and you also uh, staff the International Business Council, uh, you you know more about what's happening in that uh, arena than than just about anybody in town. So so give us a, a snapshot of what's happening in your neck of the woods.
2: Great. Let, let me start by giving you just a, a really quick recap. We talked about this on our first podcast, but kind of going back, I'm on the Chamber's economic development team. So I'm focused on, you keep saying the word business there, on international business. So a lot of that is foreign direct investment. So my main role is really creating relationships and exploring opportunities that would result in foreign direct investment happening here in our nashville region Uh, i also work with nashville-based companies that want to do business around the world to make sure they get connected to the resources they need whether it's our uh, state department of economic and community development who might have resources around exporting or our u.s department of commerce that can help them engage in new markets um, from a sales perspective So that's what I do. It has been a really busy couple of, uh, I guess, about six weeks. And I think probably top of most people's mind right now is the Amazon announcement. That is not an international announcement per se, but um, I can tell you that has Garnered a lot of international news and a lot of attention. And I've gotten emails um, from my network around the world that have learned about that project and really want to know more about why they chose Nashville, why they chose to come here. Um, For those of you who might not have heard about that project, um, about 15 months ago, Amazon announced that they were uh, seeking a location for their uh, HQ2, their second headquarters. And it would employ about 50,000 people, average salary of about $100,000 um, a year. So we um, submitted for that. We were um, one of 238 submissions. Wow. Yeah. They, um, they expected to get probably about 150. Um, they wound up with uh, about 238. We made the cut to 20. So that was big, we thought that was huge. And then uh, got a call in uh, mid-September that there was a second opportunity. That nothing had been decided yet about the headquarters, but there was a second opportunity for an operations center of excellence around their logistics. So uh, think of kind of a headquarter for all of their logistics operations. And uh, we competed for that and then uh, found out on November 12th that we um, received that that project so that was a five thousand five thousand job project um average salaries there of hundred and fifty thousand dollars. that will uh start in hiring in nashville next year and ramp up over the course of about the next seven years so a big 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 project and, and one that we're certainly proud of this year
1: well you know you say that uh, amazon is not an international uh topic per se but clearly uh, amazon is a worldwide corporation and and uh, them to have such a significant footprint here in Nashville does uh, put one more star on, uh, on, on the map for Nashville being a, a global city and uh, not just uh, foreign direct investment but the corporations that we have here that uh, that look out to the world and, and other things. And we're going to go down the list of some of those. Uh, but you mentioned uh, Amazon coming. We also uh, brought in Ernst & Young um uh, which uh, had it been in the news alone would have been a much bigger story than it was. And, and they're also an international uh, uh, financial uh, entity uh, and uh, lots of other new things happening. And uh, as you say, it does get attention around the world when people see Nashville's name coming up uh, on the, the global landscape of, uh, of these sorts of things.
2: it it sure does we um announced the ey project like you said another uh global firm um, operating around the world um they're gonna add 600 new jobs into the nashville region um right here just a few blocks over from where we sit in the music row area and uh, you know we we just continue to see growth and um in some ways success begets success so uh, you start to make some of those lists that you might not have been on before, and you start to see um, more investment coming in.
1: As far as uh, foreign direct investment, you know, we we uh, often talk about uh, the numbers, but clearly Tennessee uh, does rely on uh, foreign direct investment for manufacturing. These are these are firms that are foreign based that have uh, uh, operations here in Tennessee, and and they range from. Uh, Large uh, corporations like uh, Nissan and Bridgestone to uh, suppliers to the automotive industry and and to other industries. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about uh, the the scope of uh, FDI that has an impact on uh, Nashville and and Middle Tennessee and Tennessee in more more broad sense?
2: Sure. So you know traditionally we've been a market that's been uh, heavily saturated by Japanese automotive investment. When people think about our foreign direct investment base, that's really the largest the largest part of it and that started because nissan opened their first automotive assembly facility uh in north america in smyrna tennessee back in the late 70s so that really built that base with all the suppliers coming in But it's really diversified we have a lot of uk-based companies uh germany canada uh, switzerland sweden things like ubs bank um, alliance bernstein which announced recently uh, ab came out of new york but they're a majority french-owned company um you know i mentioned bridgestone um Ember Air, that's a Brazilian uh, air maintenance company that's here. Carlex Glass, which is supplying in the automotive industry. I mean, we have uh, several, several employers in our 10 county region that are employing about 51,000 people, about 330 companies, 31 countries. We average in job creation about 20% of our jobs that are created every year are through foreign direct investment, and about 20% of our projects are through foreign direct investment. So it is a big piece of our economy. We partner very often with the state of Tennessee who has foreign offices around the world, and they are always promoting the state of Tennessee as a business destination, and we're definitely a big part of their story as they tell it around the world.
1: Let me just uh, remind our listeners that uh, this is Global Tennessee, the podcast of the Tennessee World Affairs Council from Nashville, Tennessee, and we're talking with Lori Odom today, who is vice president at the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce for International Business, And she uh, runs the International Business Council, which is an organization composed of uh, businesses in in the community that have an international outlook and uh, deal in international affairs. And occasionally they uh, get together for uh, speaker uh, events and and other opportunities. So if you're in international business or want to get a better handle on what's going on in the realm of international business, you want to be talking – with Laurie about uh, membership of the International Business Council, uh, Laurie, what uh, what other things are happening uh, around Nashville? And, and you know, we're catching up in, in this podcast with uh, developments. I know uh, uh, we have a, a broadening relationship with London partners. Uh, the uh, the BNA uh, Nashville International Airport uh, started. Uh, direct flights from London uh, earlier this year. And I, I seem to recall you were on I was on the inaugural flight. I was. So so fill us in on uh, what, what's going on in, in that arena.
2: So BA started nonstop direct service from Nashville to London Heathrow in May. I believe it was May 4th, May 6th. And that flight is doing incredibly well. We are the smallest market that they serve. And as they were uh, looking at kind of their, their U.S. expansion, one of the last markets that they're going to add for for a little while. So we were really lucky to kind of get in, um, in this kind of initial cut. The flight is doing fantastic. It's flying about 90% full doing about 200% of what they expected it to do. We were at uh, five days a week, we're going to go to seven days a week in the spring. So lots of great things happening and, and lots of good opportunities there. Um, you know, business people want to be able to fly nonstop. They want to make it as easy as possible to get to where they need to be. So this is going to open some doors for us that we probably didn't even realize um, weren't being opened. We've already partnered with the mayor of London's Office of um, Economic Development and Tourism called London and Partners. And they brought in a delegation in October of 10 music and creative and health tech companies. So these are all companies that are already doing business around the world. They're already doing business internationally and they take them into new markets where they think there's opportunities for those companies. And we put together a week's worth of programming, the chamber, uh, the Nashville Chamber of Commerce in partnership with the Nashville Healthcare Council, the Nashville Technology Council, and Baker Donaldson, a law firm here in town, really worked together to, to roll out the red carpet. They met with the mayor. They met with several of our businesses. They've already made connections. Some are already looking for um, office space here. We've got one that's engaged with our Entrepreneur Center, so the relationships are continuing and those conversations are continuing. I know people have already been to London and met with some of these folks again. So that that for us is a home run. We're, we look for ways to find multipliers and to find conveners that can help tell Nashville's story. So that is a big piece of the work that I do on a daily basis it is making those connections and hosting those delegations that come through town. So we've got another group coming in March that we've been working quite closely with and working once again with the healthcare council in the Nashville Technology Council, and that's the um, Association of British Health Tech Industries, ABHI, and they'll be bringing a group of companies in to learn more about Nashville's healthcare industry, um, to, to meet people, and, and once again, to just better understand what's happening here. Um, as Nashville begins to see the success of being on these lists, of, of making Amazon's top 20, of being a top tourist destination, of being a top place for uh, millennials to to live of being a top place for uh, growth in the arts or for for white collar jobs and GDP growth, you know that really gets people wondering what's happening there, and they want to visit.
1: Yeah, well, certainly uh, this relationship uh, with uh, London partners and the opening of the uh, the air route from BNA to to London Heathrow, uh, Heathrow being the uh, the premier uh, stepping off point for. For all of Europe, and, you know, there's a lot of things going on with Brexit uh, that we're going to have uh, more discussion on. But uh, clearly this is uh, a great uh, opportunity for Nashville to uh, to increase its uh, exposure to uh, global things, especially in the business arena. Uh, but uh, uh, tip of the hat to everybody involved in, in making those connections happen. I, I noticed in uh, the news that uh, the the and uh, overhaul is uh, looking like a, about a 1%. Point two billion dollar uh, adventure. So it, uh, obviously, uh, the the London route is is probably not the last of international uh, opportunities that we see coming out of our. Uh, our no,
2: airport. I, I think we'll we'll be seeing growth in that area in the next few years. I mean, it, it is a complicated process um, to get planes moved, to get schedules aligned, right. to get FFA approval. Um, you know, there there's so much that, that goes into getting all of that in place, but I think what we've proven with this flight is there is the demand in this market, and there's the demand both ways. Uh, typically, when they open a new route, they told us that it was about 50%, or it was usually about 50%, or more, most of the traffic was coming from the U.K., into the US market. On this flight in particular, it's about evenly split 50-50. So, you know, that shows them that there's interest on both sides sure. and they can fill the flight in both directions. Right. So, you know, it doesn't take long. That's a competitive industry. People are going to hear those numbers and they're going to be looking at at what they need to be doing to service this market.
1: Yeah, I'm sure people uh, not just business people but tourists who want to get to London who don't want to go to such uh, lovely garden spots as John F. Kennedy Airport in New York uh, <laughs> would much rather go B and A to Heathrow. Yeah, uh, so that's that's a good deal. And B
2: has done a great job. If you you just you know i mean coming out of customs all of the processes it's so easy and so smooth it's it's a great flight
1: right there are airports that people uh, like to go through and some that they avoid like the plague and and BNA is definitely the former uh we're uh, we're closing in on time here Let, let's go through a, a couple of uh, quick things uh, on on your list that you'd like to share with uh, listeners what uh, other uh issues are uh, are out there that uh, either have been um Uh, brought to fruition or things that are coming down the pike?
2: Well, I mentioned the ABHI group, and we've got another group coming in looking at blockchain after the first of the year. Um, You know, we just continue to see uh, a lot of growth and a lot of development and a lot of new projects coming in.
1: And we, uh, we're very pleased that uh, we've been working with the International Business Council on, on a number of uh, visitors. We have a delegation coming in next week of consuls general from five of the uh, consulates in Atlanta, and they'll be here to talk about European issues. And we're uh, looking forward to having... An interview uh, for our Global Tennessee podcast with uh, with those five consul generals at uh, at your place at the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce downtown next week, and we'll have that uh, on on the podcast in, in coming weeks. Um, we uh, we're still pleased that uh, you uh, along with uh, Baker Donaldson coordinated with us on the uh, uh, Senator Bob Corker luncheon at the end of October. That was a, a tremendous event, and that's available. On uh, an earlier episode of our podcast, just go to iTunes or SoundCloud and you can find the, the full extent of uh, the Senator Corker uh, podcast, the, his uh, his luncheon that uh, we had uh, down in uh, in your place. And, uh, it, you know, he's uh, leaving office, but he's certainly been a busy uh, lame duck uh, up in Washington with uh, all the international things going on. And, and we were very pleased to have uh, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee being one of uh, one of the senators from Tennessee, um, lots lots going on. Uh, we're going to cover more in uh, future roundtables, and and hopefully Lori, you'll uh, you'll be with us for those things. Uh, any any last thoughts on uh, what's happening business wise? Uh, international affairs, uh, things that uh, you want to share?
2: You know, Pat, there's so much going on. It's hard to, to pinpoint one. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing the Consul's General next week. I want to know the latest uh, Brexit update from our UK Consul General, Andrew Staunton. I'm excited to hear what he's got to say. I'm interested to hear what's going on with the uh, yellow vests in France and the protests and, and what can be shared through our French Consul General um, you know just there's just so much happening in the world right now it's hard to keep your your fingers and in the pulse and your hands around everything and that's one reason why I'll make my pitch here for the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast, please get engaged. It's a a better world when we all understand what's happening. We're not trying to push an agenda on anyone. We're just trying to inform people of the world that they live in and what they need to be aware of. So please, if you're listening, spread the word, pass this link around to your friends, join, uh, give us an email, tell us what you'd like to hear, what you'd like to see. And uh, thank you for listening.
1: Well, thank you, Lori, for those those kind words. It's always uh, nice to have somebody uh, uh, bang the, the drum for us. Uh, I'll just mention that uh, if you're interested in getting in touch with the World Affairs Council, you can drop an email to info at org. That's uh, tnwac.org or give us a call, 615-460-6011 and we'll be happy to uh, talk to you about what we do and Uh, explain our programs. You can also look at our website at www.tnwac.org. We're heavily involved in community affairs. We do a distinguished visiting speaker program, and we also uh, spend a lot of our time with education outreach uh, project we have called WorldQuest for high school students. And we will be having a Tennessee State Championship match in February. And we invite uh, corporations and uh, others who are interested in sponsoring the Academic WorldQuest program to give us a call. We're looking for corporate uh, supporters who can uh, underwrite that event. It's a Tennessee uh, statewide championship match. And the winning team is hosted by the Tennessee World Affairs Council to the national uh, match of WorldQuest in Washington in April uh, the winner of that uh, has the opportunity for the, the students and the teacher, teacher sponsor, uh, chaperone to go to the state of Qatar, in the Persian Gulf. So that's uh, quite a a uh, uh, a great opportunity for uh, for students and the students that we take from Tennessee to Washington. We also put on their agenda visits to embassies, think tanks, Capitol Hill, and other places where they can get exposed to what's going on in the world of. Foreign affairs. So, if you're a, a business person who is interested in supporting the Academic World Quest program and what we do with high school students to help improve global literacy among the, the next generation of Tennesseans, uh, give us a call, and we'd be happy to talk about uh, underwriting that program. I'd also like to mention we were talking about Brexit and uh, the business consequences. It's also an international political issue, and we have uh, coming up uh, in a uh, uh, speaker program at the World Affairs Council, Dr. Adam Bronstone, who is a professor, a, a doctor who specializes in European Politics and he'll be talking about uh, the implications of Brexit. In February, on uh, February 11th, uh, Joe Serencione, the uh, president of Plowshares, uh, will be here for a global town hall at 6 p.m. on February 11th. Uh, Joe is uh, known for his frequent appearances on uh, television and radio. He talks about nuclear proliferation around the world. He'll be talking uh, specifically with us about the dangers of proliferation. Uh, specifically the cases of Iran and North Korea. Obviously hot topics in the news, and uh, there's no one who knows the topic uh, any better than uh, Joe Cerencioni. He'll also be talking with the Nashville uh, Rotary Club and uh, some other stops around town. So we'll have him for a town hall at uh, Belmont. Uh, Otherwise, we uh, continue to roll out programs that uh, should be of interest to people in our uh, city, uh, region, and state. Uh, for members of the World Affairs Council, and we encourage people to become members, we have a new program called Global Eats. Everybody likes to eat, and uh, we like to go out and get everybody together for an evening of fellowship at some international uh, uh, restaurant where we also bring along a speaker to talk about uh, the history or culture of that uh, region. Our our last adventure was at uh, a Turkish restaurant, and we had... Uh, Uh, professor from Belmont talked to us about Turkish history. So you get uh, a good meal and uh, some uh, global uh, experience along with that. So that's uh, a member's uh, benefit. Uh, So take a look at tnwac.org about joining as members and uh, you can uh, participate in things like that. Again, uh, this is Global Tennessee, the uh, podcast of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, We're going to take a brief uh, pause and then we'll be back With an interview with uh, Professor Marietta Velikova and Mr. Keith Simmons, they'll be talking about uh, Russia and uh, the the, uh, divide, uh, American and Russian perspectives on the relationship and what's happening in Russia. And it should be a fascinating uh, interview. So uh, stick around for that. And we're going to take a short break.
0: You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at TennesseeWAC, as well as follow us on Twitter at TNWAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community?
1: Visit tnwac.org for more information. Welcome back to Global Tennessee. Uh, This is the uh, podcast of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and we're coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, the offices of the World Affairs Council. Uh, Thanks for being with us today. Uh, In today's conversation segment, we have a very special uh, opportunity to talk uh, to two uh, members of the board of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, uh, but they also have uh, experiences and insights and perspectives on uh, Russia uh, the uh, perspective from uh, both sides of the divide uh, with us is Professor Marieta Velikova, who uh, hails from Sergut in western Siberia. Uh, she is a professor of economics at the Belmont University uh, Business School. She has uh, uh, been in the United States for decades now, having come initially uh, after the end of the Cold War as a student uh, to uh, Idaho, from Siberia to Idaho, uh, where she was an exchange student and then later got uh, advanced degrees, master's and Ph.D. at Mississippi State University. And we're also joined uh, by Mr. Keith Simmons from uh, the World Affairs Council board and uh, a uh, retired managing partner at Bass, Berry & Sims Law Firm here in Nashville, Tennessee, Uh, He also has uh, experience in uh, uh, military service of having served in the Strategic Air Command as a missile launch officer of a Minuteman missile uh, complex that uh, during the Cold War he probably developed some ideas of what uh, the adversary, uh, the uh, armed forces of the Soviet Union and the people of of the Russian Federation were about, and he's going to talk about it. that perspective and his perspective gained in a visit he took to uh, Russia in August uh, as a tourist, but uh, when he came back he had uh, uh, great new impressions of of the Russian people, culture, history, and so forth. So we're going to have a great conversation today about uh, Russia, uh, the the divide between Americans and Russians and perceptions and uh, what both sides of, uh, of the divide look like. Uh, first, uh, let me welcome uh, Marietta and, uh, and Keith. Thank you uh, both for uh, being with us today on Global Tennessee. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. And first, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, throw this uh, open to a conversation about what it is like to be uh, a native Russian living and working in the United States uh, in the current environment because uh, we've we've come a long way after the Cold War and the relationship, and uh, you're probably uh, sensitive to the perceptions uh, back and forth. And I know, uh, Marietta, you uh, you had a speaker's appearance at a World Affairs Council event a couple of months ago where you, you took on this topic uh, brilliantly and highlighted some of the differences in the perspectives. But start us off with uh, your... Uh, your insights on uh, and and feelings about uh, being uh, a Russian-born native living here in Nashville, Tennessee, and and some of the things that uh, we are talking about these days in terms of U.S.-Russian relations.
3: Well, thank you, Pat, for this opportunity to share with our audience. Uh, My experience has been interesting because at the age of 14 years old, I had a very unique opportunity to come to the United States and experience U.S. as community, as people, and get to know in person, and not just through newspapers and through TV. And that experience has really um, has transformed my life and allowed me to understand and value person-to-person connection. And throughout my, uh, after the visit, I have witnessed both countries warming up toward each other, starting a conversation, and unfortunately, since I have been living in the United States uh, since 2012, uh, the relationship between the two countries has taken a different trajectory. Uh, One thing, I'm not going to talk about the relationship because most uh, of our audience probably is aware where we currently are, but one thing that really uh, worries me is that if you open any source of information newspaper any tv channel all the information or news about russia they're negative there is nothing that being reported positive about the country the people the events and that's where it deeply worries me uh that people the future generation of leaders uh that's how they're being raised there is absolutely no positive news about the country and while like Keith uh, had an opportunity to go to, to Russia and visit and experience and communicate with people. You can have different opinions or you can have that personal experience that can shape your view. Majority of people do not have this opportunity. So I'm deeply worried, not just about the state of affairs today, but what it would look like in the future.
1: Well, we're we're going to talk about uh, those those sorts of uh, perspectives, and and I, I think the phenomenon is uh, called mirroring, where uh, individuals ascribe to another culture their their own uh, sense of values and all. And, and obviously, uh, Russia is a, a different uh, environment in terms of culture and history, and so forth. Keith, uh, you and I uh, probably have an older perspective on. On Russia and the Soviet Union, having lived in, and both of us served in the military during the Cold War, and uh, you in a missile silo in uh, North Dakota, was it South Dakota? South Dakota, one of those Dakotas, and uh, and I spent time in ballistic missile submarines. So we both never really met uh, our potential adversaries, but certainly uh, our day-to-day existences were were focused on uh, on those. Uh, those perspectives and, and insights of of people that uh, we we couldn't talk to or or have much of a frame of reference for, and uh, and the Soviet Union at the time was sort of an, an enigma of uh, trying to understand uh, what was happening there. Now, you went to uh, Russia in in August. Talk a little bit about what your expectations were based on those preconceived notions that you might have had, and and what it was like when you got there.
4: Well, I was born in 1948, so my entire life has been spent um, uh, with America in one way or another vilifying Russia and Russia being an adversary. Um, There may have been a few years there of detente, but uh, for the most part, uh, and certainly for uh, my formative years and young adult years, uh, it was all about the Cold War. So... You do form preconceived notions. First of all, I would say um, anyone who has an opportunity to visit Russia should do so. Uh, St. Petersburg and Moscow are beautiful cities, St. Petersburg in particular. I mean, St. Petersburg would rival any city, any beautiful European city. Vienna, Barcelona, Madrid, I've been to all those places, and uh, St. Petersburg is absolutely gorgeous. Um If you travel very much, you find out that people are people kind of anywhere you go. And their problems are the same. Their aspirations are the same. um, Their concerns are the same. They may be uh, uh, tainted somewhat by what's going on in their country and by the the economic situation in their country, the political situation. But people are people. And uh, we found the Russian people to be... um, Wonderfully uh, uh, receptive and uh, charming and lovely to be with, um, and it's interesting. Uh, one of the takeaways that I had was uh, we tried to engage our tour guides in geopolitics, and um, and both we had a different tour guide in Moscow, and we actually had three tour guides uh, in the two cities, and as with most people in the united states it wasn't about geopolitics it was about the bread and butter issues Mm -hmm. they're worried about their pension system because the the russian government somewhat like our government doesn't have the money in the long term to fund the pension system at the at the level it's being uh, uh used uh women uh retire at age 55 and start receiving a pension at that age, men at age 63, and uh, the Russian government has decided that's too young, and it probably is. So they're now trying to change it, and uh, that has an everyday effect on everyone. And so uh, when you start talking about politics and what's interesting to them and what's important to them, they don't go to the Crimea. They don't go to... um, Diplomats being poisoned in uh, Great Britain. They they go to. Um, so how does my daughter find a job? Uh, she's a teenager now. How does she find a job if all the jobs that are being done uh, are going to continue to be done until uh, they want to raise the age for women to 65 and to men for men to 70? So. Uh, all of these uh, baby boomers uh, are going to be working an additional uh, five to ten years. And what's that do to my daughter? Um, so so uh, it's like issues
1: anywhere else in the world that people are concerned about family and uh, education absolutely. to kids. And, absolutely. Uh, and and that that's probably expected. But uh, not so much in terms of uh, news or conversations about uh, the relationship with uh, the West or what's happening in uh, Ukraine, or uh, those are out of sight, out of mind?
4: Well, I wouldn't say they're out of sight, out of mind. There are two observations on that. W- one is uh, the media is totally controlled by the government, so they hear what the government wants them to hear. So they're not as well informed about that as hopefully we are in this country. Um, uh, the other thing I would observe about that, though, is that um, we found them very open to expressing their opinions. Uh, I didn't feel like there was some uh, uh, intelligence officer peeking over their shoulder all the time. And uh, uh, they were open, expressed their opinion. One of our tour guides said she didn't like Putin. She didn't vote for him. She didn't want him there. The other tour guide said she liked Putin. And interestingly, the young tour guide didn't like Putin. The older tour guide did like Putin. Uh, And we can go into that conversation, too, about why that would be. But um, so we didn't find them. I've been to Cuba before. And in Cuba, nobody expresses their opinion because there's somebody around every corner listening to them. Um, It's a much more repressive sort of world than we found in uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg.
1: Marietta, uh, as you listen to that perspective of an American traveling in, in Russia, uh, I know that in your conversation previously at, at a World Affairs Council event, uh, you were concerned about how uh, the the relationship is, is being shaped uh, in such a way that the future generations are going to come away with uh, hard hearts towards uh, the other side. Um, what What's your take on, on Keith's observations and and those concerns about uh, their perception versus reality of, uh, of the divide?
3: I think I'll, I'll start with a personal uh, story. My parents uh, have come to visit me three years ago, and they don't speak English They are huge patriots of Russia, and so as they were coming, it was, okay, we'll come, we'll visit, we'll see where you live, but there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm and excitement per se, So, and after they've been here for three months, they have left with... just being completely taken away by the hospitality, kindness of people, inviting them to their homes, sharing food, preparing southern dishes, sharing life stories. And so um, I think that is just one of the examples that shows that, just like what Keith said, that we have governments, we have conflict we have ukraine we have crimea we have hacking of u.s elections and many more issues but when we take it to people level um, that's where the conversation happens this is where connections happen so uh, at the end of the day despite all the existing problems and conflicts and adversarial interests, I believe that people at their core here in the United States and in Russia uh, share similar concerns, uh, aspirations, hopes for their children, for their countries. So uh, that's where I would just start how powerful is an opportunity to experience country and meet people in person. Uh, For me, the current state of relationship is, um, it's interesting Because when I go back home and when, you know, I spend most of my time here in the United States, because Nashville is my home now, uh, it's interesting to observe how different the facts are. You know, and Keith said that most of the uh, channels in Russia are controlled by the state government. However, you know, one thing that I would add, uh, like when I go home, you know, an average citizen subscribes to... uh, channels that include BBC and Euronews and a variety of other sources of information. So one point I do want to make, maybe perhaps it's not repressive. I do not believe it's repressive. And if you really want to hear other news, it is possible there's no internet censoring there is no that this channel is not available this uh, channel is prohibited so like when i go home i watch bbc cnn euronews etc so there is access to information but facts the way they are presented are quite different so for example uh, i think a lot of the facts that we hear here uh, they're given without context for history without context for culture, without uh, context for geography, and I think it's very difficult to really understand uh, the facts or interpret the facts without the context or without understanding the history or geography uh, mentality. You know, those things are really, really important. So, for example, if I have a few minutes, I'll just would like to give an example. So, uh, in the, uh, my conversation with the World Affairs Council members about Russia, uh, I started with a conversation, what is opinion about Vladimir Putin here and what is their opinion back home, which I just collected from various friends and family members. And while here, you know, we all know the opinion here, People on the right, on the left, uh, share the same opinion. Uh, In Russia, it's quite different. You know, he's loyal, he's charismatic, he is the patriot, he's strong and respected and intelligent and pragmatic and wise person of his word, etc. So the question becomes why. Is it because... You know, Russians are brainwashed and watch just propaganda TV? No, because you have to understand where we came from. Uh, the collapse, uh, humiliating collapse of the Soviet Union, of the system of values and beliefs that we had, and then years under Yeltsin, where it wasn't just a political chaos, chaos, uh, economic collapse, that it's also a humiliation of us as nation, as community. And so Vladimir Putin, he was able, in a way, to bring back the pride. And to Russian people, it's really important uh, to have that sense of belonging, sense of identity. So that's one example where you can just look at the facts without understanding the bigger historic context.
4: True. Sure. Mariana, I would add to that, too that uh, if you look at—I uh, think Russian history is fascinating, by the way, and if you wanted to really have some fun, study Russian history, because I think it's, it's just fascinating. But um, another reason that I think—another context in which you have to put this is that if you think about World War I, World War II, uh, Napoleon's advance on, on uh, Russia— the Russian borders have been violated in um, really catastrophic, uh, devastating ways with tremendous loss of life if you go back over the last 200 years. So that's got to be ingrained in Russian's cult- Russia's culture. And so when the Ukraine starts talking about being a part of NATO, that's getting into, I used to say, used to hear from people negotiating deals, now you're in my kitchen you know, now you're in a place that's uh, sensitive and damaging to me. So, I think one thing that happens with the Russians is, once, once there's a there's a threat or perceived threat to the borders in some way, now you're in my kitchen. Now there's a sensitivity that that rises, and you see that acted out in some of what Putin has done since he's been uh, president. So. Um, Again, we, I, I, I wish everybody could understand Russian history a little better because I think they would ru- understand the Russian people and Russian politics a Keith, little better.
1: Keith, while, while you were there, you said that the people you talked to, tour guides and others, were very uh, candid and, and straightforward. Uh, did uh, anyone voice that concern that uh, the current state of affairs, uh, in as much as they would discuss them, were a consequence of, of that history? um
4: we I, I tried to draw draw them into that conversation um you know not so much but one thing that did stick out in my mind was i said well you know do you think this whole state of affairs with the united states and russia right now and and uh a, a more aggressive sort of uh approach from uh, uh president putin in your country uh you, you think it's a good thing and her answer was i don't think it's a good thing that you just have one superpower that uh, there needs to be a little more balance in the world and i go back to what marietta said they are uh, you know they may not like their government uh, always they probably didn't like yeltsin and stalin the whole stalin era was just uh, horrid horrible horrible um and we did hear stories about um My grandmother uh, just—they came and got my grandmother one day, and we never saw her again. I mean, that was—how devastating would that be to someone? But um, that sort of thing happened during the Stalin period all the time. But despite all of that, you really get a sense that they are fiercely patriotic. And if you think that somehow what we're going to do in the West is going to— uh, undermine their patriotism and their faith in their country and whoever their leader is, you're just really wrong because <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, they are a very patriotic people they they care a great deal about their country, and
1: uh, I find that admirable well these are these are great insights, and we're we're very pleased to share them with, with our listeners. I'll remind everyone this is the global Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee World Affairs Council in association with the Belmont University Center for International Business and the nashville area chamber of commerce Uh, we're uh, pleased to have with us today professor marietta velikova uh, professor of economics at belmont who uh, hails from western siberia and uh, keith simmons uh, formerly uh, managing partner at bassbury sims an attorney there and uh, before that a uh, u.s air force officer who Served uh, the watch standing uh, over uh, Minuteman missiles in the Strategic Air Command, who has returned from a trip to Russia with uh, some very uh, insightful observations, and and we're having a great conversation here. Uh, Marietta, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the transition that that you referred to—the uh, period after the Cold War—as uh, we record this this uh, podcast this week. We're Marking the passing of uh, President George H. W. Bush, and a lot of the commentary about his uh, role in the White House had to do with uh, successfully shepherding the United States through the uh, uh, post-Cold War era, and uh, he was given great credit for, as some people, not not rubbing Gorbachev's nose into the fact that the Soviet Union had fallen apart and and given, uh, giving ammunition to those who who might uh, resist uh, a, a change or ch- the transformation uh, talk a little bit about uh, your perspective because you you were a, uh, a teenager in those those heady days of of what was happening and and uh, give us a little perspective on on your view at the time especially as the opportunity to, to come to the United States opened up in what was that 93 94. Yeah. So, uh, t- tell us a little bit about what you were thinking back in those days about the United States and and uh, the the end of the Cold War. And you probably were raised in uh, in a different uh, era in the uh, life of a Russian young lady.
3: Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to start with the statement by Keith. He said that the Russian people extremely patriotic. And it's really, really true because our history, if you, just like what Keith said, you know, we had World War One, World War Two, Cold War. Uh, the history is devastating, and despite all that, what held the nation together uh, was the patriotism. I'm just even thinking, uh, like after the World War Two, what the nation was able to accomplish just on pure patriotism and pride. So. Um, What I would like to say is that when the collapse of the Soviet Union happened, it was probably among few times, or even maybe the only time when the pride was lost. There was no patriotism, there was no pride, and I think that's why those few years after the collapse of the Soviet Union, early 1990s were absolutely devastating in every single possible way for the Russian nation. Uh, It wasn't just the loss of identity. It was questioning our values, our roots, our foundation. So uh, in those days, what I do remember, so you have economic reality when your parents who have gotten a degree, who have had a job security, uh, all of a sudden were not sure or certain about tomorrow. Not a week after, to, after today, not a month after today, but about tomorrow. So economic reality was devastating. You didn't know if you would lose a job tomorrow or in two days or in three days. And if you lose a job, what are you going to do? When unemployment was close to 75%, uh, you had inflation of 5,000%. You had um, just really collapse of a nation of the state. And so throughout those days, I remember the economic realities, but I also remember how all of a sudden, we started believing that everything we believed was wrong. And all of a sudden, the Western values have replaced our Russian values, whether it was TV, whether it was literature, whether it was movies, whether it was music, whether it was economic system, we rushed into building the free market um, economic uh, system mimicking United States without really understanding the constraints, uh, you know, China did it a different way. So so that's what I remember. I just remember chaos and confusion, uh, politically, economically, emotionally, spiritually. And so, and then when I had an opportunity in 1994 to come to the United States, prior to me coming to the United States, what I think a lot of Russians believed, it was just like this dreamland where things worked, uh, economy worked, it was a prosperous society, it was Statue of Liberty, it was, Hollywood. So we had this very glossy, very dreamy view of the United States. Uh, It was kind of like this dreamland. And so when I came, it was interesting to see, yes, I had a chance to see New York and visit United Nations and Statue of Liberty, but I also was living uh, in a small community in we are Idaho, and to see and experience the reality of everyday life in the United States. Right.
1: So those those uh, foundational years for you and and uh, your generation uh, now living in Russia, as as Keith said, uh, the economic fortunes were uh, were paramount, and, and probably the lasting memories of, of that uh, era growing up in uh, in Russia, much as uh, foregoing generations in America remember the Great Depression and and uh, troubled times that uh, never, uh, never left them. We're, uh, we're close to running uh, to the end of our uh, podcast uh, today. And, and we're with uh, Professor Marietta Velikova and Keith Simmons, uh, members of the board of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Keith, can you uh, wrap up your uh, perspective on uh, the divide between Russians and Americans in terms of perception and reality?
4: Well, there is certainly a geopolitical struggle going on politically, um, uh, so there's no denying that, and, um, and there are conflicting interests at stake, um, uh, conflicting alliances, so um, I'm, I'm not here to sugarcoat any of that, and uh, I think we all understand that uh, there is a, um, um, a distance that, that uh, exists. But um, uh, I was surprised in a lot of ways and, uh, in what I found. Now, of course, we were in the two biggest cities in Russia, so what it's like out in the countryside is, I don't know. And uh, we, did, we, were, we did take a train from uh, Moscow to St. Petersburg, and you can see little villages along the way, and they didn't look too prosperous, honestly. But um, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, um, you see the Cyrillic alphabet everywhere, but you also see the English alphabet everywhere. Most signs are also in English. Um, You don't have that much trouble uh, getting around uh, and not being able to speak Russian uh, because so many people do speak English. Um, The music you hear is all American popular music. Um, Well, most of it, almost all of it, honestly. so um, I was surprised at how, uh, how much Western influence there is in those cities. And, um, and they were, uh, you know, Russia is, it is, is, is straddles Asia and Europe. And um, I thought that the, uh, those cities were more European than Asian. Um, but they were both... Uh, appeared to be prosperous, a lot of people on the streets, a lot of young people on the streets. Um, uh, so we came away with a very positive impression of the Russian people and uh, and what's going on in Russia. And, and, uh, and so it was an absolutely wonderful experience, one of the greatest uh, travel experiences we've had, honestly.
1: Well, thanks for that. Marietta, you get uh, the last uh, shout here of, of your... Uh your reflections on the the conversation we've had today.
4: I
3: think so. It's interesting because when I go back, just like when, just like Keith said, you know, there's a still a lot of um, influence and a lot of sharing of the values, even through the movies, through the music. So Russian people still get to experience American culture, American music, American films. However, if I come here, there is really no sharing. I just feel like it's one-way street. And so when I'm back home, I think a lot of people always ask me, like, why do people in the United States hate us so much? And why does United do United States hate Russia? Because that's the impression people have. And so uh, and then when I come back here, I often like, you know, why does Russia... Undermine democracy in the United States and undermine the pillars of our democratic society. So, and I think what puzzles me, as I said, you know, it's that there is no communication about there is no communication about Russian people, Russian film, Russian literature, uh, and that that worries me. You know, I just wish there would be more communication on more points of interactions just besides the government, the hacking, the geopolitics, the sphere of interest, uh, the sanctions, and etc. So that's, you know, I agree, we cannot change the, geopolit- the geopolitics. Uh, we do have adversarial interest. However, if we can just still find and continue to build the bridge to connect on culture, on people, on art, on education. I think that's where I would like for the two countries to move forward or still interact because if there is no conversation, there is no future.
1: Uh, excellent point to, uh, to end on there. I, I think the important uh, takeaway today is that uh, understanding others and building bridges and uh, having a, a good sense of what's going on in the world uh, can transcend uh, the government-to-government issues. Clearly, as as Keith, uh, as you pointed out, there are uh, these it, geopolitical uh, national security issues that uh, everyone is aware of that we have to deal with and, and get through, uh, but the uh, relationship that people-to-people needs to uh, to endure uh, over time because uh, things do change in international politics, and clearly the relationship between the United States and, and Russia is one of those areas where... Uh, We've gone through cycles, and we're at at a low point now, but it uh, hopefully will not always be that way. So uh, we cut to the end of our Global Tennessee uh, episode today, and thank you for being listeners. We invite you to check out our website, tnwac.org, where you can find information about our calendar of events. Uh, We have a terrific calendar coming up for uh, the rest of uh, uh, our 2018-2019 program year. Uh, On February 11th, we'll have Joe Cirincione from the Plowshares. Uh, He's president there and has been uh, regularly on uh, TV and radio talking about nuclear weapons uh, disarmament, uh, especially the case of North Korea and Iran. So look for that program at Belmont University at 6 p.m. on February 11th. Check out the calendar on the website. Also take a look at our membership page. We are a membership organization Invite invites you to become members. That's how we keep things going here. Keep the lights on at the office and uh, take also a look at uh, the other programs we have. We do education outreach. We have a program for high school students called Academic World Quest. So if you have a high school student uh, that uh, you would like to uh, improve their global literacy, steer them towards uh, that program. We have a state championship match for WorldQuest high school students, kind of like Quiz Bowl, and that is on February 24th. The winning team from Tennessee will get an all-expense-paid trip to Washington, D.C. for the national competition where they will be competing for a trip to the Persian Gulf state of Qatar, and uh, lots of other uh, benefits from those kinds of programs. So check out tnwac.org for our community and education outreach programs and become a member to support global literacy in your community. I'd like to again thank Professor Marietta Velikova, who is from the Belmont uh, School of Business, professor of economics and a native of Surgut in western Siberia, and Keith Simmons, an attorney here in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, who uh, is, uh, both of them are members of the Tennessee World Affairs Council Board of Directors. Thank you for your service, and thank you both for being with us today. That's it for uh, Global Tennessee, and we look forward to bringing you a podcast in the, the near future. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Pat.
0: This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan, and the voice of Global Tennessee, as well as the Penn Jones conspiracy. I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit TNWAC.org podcast for more information.